politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday. She is the former attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 in the great state of Ohio. She is political lawyer, Sharmila Achari. Sharmila, how are you doing? I'm good, Justin. How are you guys? Fantastic. And joining me from the Commonwealth of Virginia, he is the man that has served under last count four presidents as Undersecretary of Commerce. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, Justin. And joining us also from the Commonwealth of Virginia, he is the one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is a man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? Great. Happy holidays, everybody. Uh, Happy holidays to you as well, Admiral. We have got a lot to talk about. Obviously, with the holidays right around the corner, this is our last show of the year. So, In the second hour of the show today, we're going to be going over the best and brightest news that we all think are the hottest news topics from 2017, but we have a lot to get to. Let's start with the breaking news coming out of Capitol Hill right now here in Washington. The infamous GOP tax bill has now passed the House and is getting ready for Senate floor vote. Uh, The tax bill, which has been contentious, sometimes uncertain of passage, is looking more and more like it's going to go through. It went through pretty smoothly in the House, but the Senate might be another issue. As of right now, the latest whip count shows that they have enough votes to get it passed in the Senate. However, just as a makeshift sign of we are not going anywhere for this, Vice President Mike Pence canceled a scheduled trip to the Middle East to ensure that he is in place in the Senate in case there's a tiebreaker needed. Uh, This is supposedly a big tax cut for the middle class. Some are saying that this could be as much as almost $2,600 for a working class family making about $80,000 a year. There's all kinds of weird math. There's no consistency on the impact other than the big ticket item is the trillion dollars added to the deficit that they've got to contend with. Several Republicans are having to tap dance around that, but it looks like it's going to go through giving the GOP and the White House and President Trump a huge victory before the end of the year. Uh, Alan Moore, how important is this? to the GOP. Was this a absolute must do or die situation or is this just, is this being thrown together and this is just good optics? No, this, this was, uh, uh, this had become a a must, uh, a a must do. And I think uh, Republicans uh, across the spectrum, narrow is (laughs) that spectrum sometimes feels uh, felt that, that having had uh, uh, virtually no success on any significant legislative matter over the course of this year, most particularly, of course, uh, the efforts to, to repeal and replace Obamacare, but, but a host of other uh, challenges, some of which aren't yet completed, meaning the, the spending bill. The, the whole question of whether the governing majority 
was in fact able to govern um, with Republicans in charge of White House, Senate and House. Um, There were a lot of expectations that were raised around the country, most people not understanding the particular challenges of uh, getting things done in the Senate under Senate rules. So there was a powerful need uh, to get this done, um, and that helped. And uh, there were a lot of there were some missteps along the way, miscommunication that allowed for a lot of distortion to occur over what is in and, and isn't in this bill. But at the end of the day, you had a remarkable uh, unity among Republicans in the Senate, uh, very likely unanimity. Um, and and that's a that's a spectrum that includes uh, Susan Collins and John McCain. He he won't, McCain won't be back. He's in Arizona, but but he announced his support. Even Bob Corker, uh, who voted against uh, the first time around, uh, has come around uh, after concluding that that this bill is better for the country than no bill. So yes, uh, must pass. Um, uh, a lot of work and effort went into it uh, to, to, to make that possible. Um, had they failed, uh, I think that, that the, the, the image, the politics going forward would have been even more difficult for Republicans, and it ain't great now. So, Admiral Ken, you know, looking at this tax bill, everybody seems to be in consensus that – the deficit is going to grow larger. Uh, by many accounts, you're looking at about $1.5 trillion in addition uh, to the budget or to the deficit that the, the federal government has right now. It strikes me as odd that a lot of the supporters of this tax bill, a lot of the supporters of increasing the deficit to $1.5, an additional $1.5 trillion, they're going back on their Tea Party line from back in 2010. I give you people like Senator Jeff Flake. We talked about Senator Corker. We, you know, we, we see a lot of that Tea Party-esque feel in the House that are voting for this. Where's the identity crisis for the GOP in this, and how can they overcome it? So, um, one um – You've heard me say on this show more times than uh, than I can remember, and and it feels like I'm uh, standing on the beach trying to hold back the surf, kind of the way I felt when I was in the Pentagon, is that our biggest national security threat is not China. It is not North Korea. It is our debt. Because if we did not have that hanging over us, the, the, the social programs that people like Dan Lipner – and Sharma want to do would be less impactful than um, they would be under our current circumstances. I think the Republican Party has lost the moral high ground with regard to uh, being, quote, concerned about spending, unquote. Um, And I think what's going to happen is that now that they've passed this thing, they're going to go after entitlement reform. Uh, That's a big deal for me. And, 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 uh, and I think, you know, to, uh, again, for, for people like me and Alan, that they're going to come after Social Security. They're going to come after um, other government-sponsored retirement plans, maybe even the military, because we've got a pretty good retirement plan. But you know, there's nothing to stop uh, Congress from passing a law to pull, you know, to pull that back a little bit. I, I disagree uh, with my my fellow Republican Alan. Uh, I think that this this whole situation 
has cost uh, everybody to scratch their head and look at the Republican Party and go, what the hell? Um, you've been talking about you know, being deficit hawks you know, for my entire time as a Republican. All of a sudden, that's out the window. And it's out the window because of this insane, stupid loyalty to a president who, in other things, has not even shown that he knows what he's doing one day to the next. There's no plan here. And we all know that if for some reason um, this went south, he was going to turn around and blame every one of the Republicans for not supporting him. So I, 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 don't, I don't have an answer to your question, Justin. I, quite frankly, as I sit here today, I'm fairly disgusted. And, um, and, and uh, Joe Scarborough, I think, may be the, the leader of a whole group of people going from the Republican Party over to the independent side. So, Sharmila, we look at this, and, and the Republican Party has been really touting this, particularly in the congressional leadership, as a big tax break for the middle class. But all indications are that this bill, largely the winners become big corporations, uh, other large corporate entities, and dare I say even the rich shareholders – is is there a way that the Democrats can pounce on this and you know kind of work their way through the smoke and mirrors on this bill to show what they really feel is in this bill, or is this a lost cause for the Democrats? They got to just chalk this up. Well, no, I think the Democrats actually have done a good job of letting their feelings known be known about the bill, and I think that's reflected in public polling. Right, this bill is incredibly unpopular. It does not have over 50% support. I think it only really has 33% strong support among the electorate, and that's mostly amongst Republican voters. So I think the Democrats have done a good job of banging the drum that this bill is a lot of smoke and mirrors, that, yeah, the the biggest beneficiaries are corporate interests and the wealthiest taxpayers. The impact on the middle class is very, very unclear. I mean, it's incredibly unpopular where I am in New York, New Jersey, um, the sort of you know, eastern Atlantic states in California where a lot of the uh, your state tax deductions are being eliminated. I mean, this bill is hugely unpopular in the coastal areas. So I think, you know, the Democrats are defeated by the fact that the numbers are not in their favor. But I think that on, P- on a PR scale, they've, um, they've achieved the same accomplishment that Republicans did with the Affordable Care Act back in 2010, which is that they've made it really unpopular with the public. But, but Charmaine, the big question I have is, you know, when, when we look at uh, a, a tax reform bill, which this arguably is, when we look at a tax reform bill and a reform of the tax code, the, the Democrats, I don't think, and maybe you can correct me, I don't think the Democrats have done a really good job of cutting through the rhetoric to get to the reality, you know, is the $2,500 for a family making 80 grand a year, is that message getting to the middle class folks? They're obviously not getting the message back to their members of Congress. You are correct. There's a 55% unfavorable view of this tax bill, but that doesn't seem to matter, and the Democrats can't seem to sway that. Well, you're right. Well, and I think that, you know, the unfortunate legis- legislative reality is that the the places in which there is the most unpopularity for the bill are places that are already rec- represented by Democratic lawmakers and they have voted against it. Right. Unfortunately, you have large swaths of the country that are represented by a republic by Republican lawmakers and you're not getting the same sort of 
massive public outcry that you did with the um, with the repeal of the Affordable Care Act because it was much you're right it was much less tangible that something was being taken away right with the with the um, the protests against the ACA repeal earlier this year the Democrats made a very you know cogent argument that look Republicans are taking health care away from you you were you're well you're somewhat well off now and you're going to be worse off when this when this happens I don't think the direct line is not quite there with this tax bill and I think maybe in two years or three years when, when the policies have actually taken effect and people can see what their taxes were in 2017 versus what they are in 2019, then you can make that cogent argument. But right now, there's so much uncertainty about what the actual provisions of this bill will do for so many in the middle class that it's hard to make a cogent argument. Alan Moore, help me out here, because one of the things that I'm yeah. kind of trying to work through my mind is this idea of, you know, it seems to me that the Republicans were a little ballsy going forward and saying that $2,500 is a solid number per year for a middle-class family making 80. My question is, are they playing a very dangerous game with the electorate right now by putting out something that specific? Because it seems to me that if I'm a uh, an employee at a factory in Topeka, Kansas, and I go and do my taxes, and H&R Block does not come back with my tax form that says I'm getting at least $2,500 back next year, is that a possible backfire for the Republicans? Okay, so here's here's how here's how I see it. So so the 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 Democrats, uh, with the in my judgment, the lazy press as their partner. Um, got comfortable saying, we don't know what's in this bill. We don't know what's in this bill. Oh, except this bill is the worst thing in the history of the world, and everybody's going to be screwed. So they want it both ways. They're the, when you mess with taxes like this, it's really complicated. Sharmila points out that there, that there are people who rely heavily on the deductibility of state and local taxes, who are really fearful that their taxes are going to go up. But even they can't tell for sure because the rates are dropping um, of, of, of all tax brackets. And there are a variety of other changes that occur that are going to offset some of those concerns. And, Anyone who is confident that he or she knows what how his t- taxes are going to end up coming out uh, is is way smarter than <laughs> than the rest of us. It's it, the the fact of the matter is though most people next year are going to pay fewer taxes than they did this year, and they're going to start noticing that in probably February when they make adjustments to their take-home pay uh, to reflect modifications in the tax code. And I think the Democrats' biggest fear, if they're honest, is most people are going to have bigger paychecks come February. No, no. Um, and, and, and are thinking, oh, my God, people are going to forget all the rhetoric – some of which is associated with reality. Don't get me wrong, but all the re- the, the rhetoric about giveaways to the rich and say, 
wait a second, my paycheck went up and the stock market is continuing to, to boom. And that about half the people uh, directly or indirectly through 401ks and other kinds of pension plans have at least some skin in, in the stock market game. And, and, and so what's really interesting, and let, me, let me say something. I don't particularly like this tax bill. I do th- want to remind uh, re- regarding Ken's point about the deficit that the deficit over the next 10 years without this tax bill is estimated to go up about $10 trillion. The most of the analyses of this bill is that it'll be one more trillion. So it'll be an, an extra 10% of what we were already expecting over 10 years. So just putting it in perspective, having said that, why the hell aren't we paying attention to the 10 trillion? Why aren't we paying attention to the, to the, 19 plus trillion we already have that will become 10 or 11 more than that. That's the, that's the real disaster. That's the, the, the uh, simple abandonment of responsibility that Republicans and Democrats have done while they get caught up in the excitement over this bill. This bill actually has some good things in it. Um, Some of which, you probably nobody else would agree with me on um, modifying corporate taxes in ways that make the United States system um, more more closely in line with some of our main Western competitors. It's a debatable Alan, point, but I Alan, happen to believe it. So yeah, let me let me just jump in and ask you real quickly because I, I don't disagree. Dropping the tor- the corporate tax rate from thirty five down to twenty one percent is obviously a big incentive for corporate America to rejuvenate itself and bring more money back to the economy. I get that. But when you're selling what amounts to a corporate tax uh, code reform bill as being a big savings for middle class, as a Republican and as an East Coast Republican who's got to deal with the $10,000 home uh, uh, mortgage deduction Thank you. that's going away. That bothers me. That bothers me tremendously. And it seems like we're dealing with a bipolar Republican Party that says we're against fiscal, res- we're for fiscal responsibility, but ah, what's another 10%? That just goes against the grain of every fiscal no, no. conservative in the party. Which is, which is some of what I don't like uh, uh, about the bill, and I don't like the way it was sold. All I'm saying is we don't know. Anybody who thinks that, 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 that they absolutely know what their own, what's going to happen with their own taxes um, is, is a, an incredible genius because there's so many interrelating parts. They're going to be able to deduct less, no question. If, if you could just deduct less – than you could and everything else changed, you could measure it pretty accurately. But all of the, of the brackets are changed in size and, and in the percentage of tax. So they take it away over here. They take away deductions over here, but they give back on the other side when it comes to calculating your tax. That all my point is, and, and that's for this group of folks who are, reasonably well off who've got uh, combined tax uh, uh, deductions in the 15 to $20,000 range 
um, and who won't get it back by uh, the, the the changes on the on the tax side. But there are millions and millions of people who who all over the country, including on the coasts, who don't who don't itemize their deductions, and they're going to find out that that what they're able to to now deduct in the standard deduction is double the size of before that's that's where the the, the right. number i saw that that right. brian used was about two thousand dollars per year for right. for uh for what he's calling a a, a a typical family those typical families are, are reasonably well off um and so i i just think that that what's going to be fascinating is if if the economy continues to 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 uh, chug along, and the stock market continues. It doesn't have to keep going up. It just needs to hold the gains, which have been quite extraordinary over the last twelve months. And if their paycheck, their take home is up uh, one hundred and fifty, two hundred bucks a month, um, people people are going to say, "Wait a sec, I think this worked out pretty well." And the uh, right and, and the rhetoric which has worked so far, and 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 which the, the the what I like to call the lazy press, because they don't look very closely at it, in, in my judgment, um, uh, it, which is not to defend the bill. <laughs> so that's the irony here. From a political standpoint, I do not believe this is an automatic uh, uh, killer for the Republicans. It's going to depend upon. And- what really happens to people's take-home pay, and what's going on in the economy? Admiral Ken. Okay, so a lot, a lot to unpack there. So one, uh, I, I do agree that the proof will be in the pudding, but initially we have we have um, we have gotten rid of two deductions, um, which for I I would say the the real average uh, person uh, are are not insignificant. One. The ability to uh, to um, um, write off state uh, state income taxes, and Justin, you already mentioned the mortgage component. Uh, more importantly, you know, I listened to President Trump uh, during the campaign screaming in the microphone, "What the hell is going on in Chicago?" Well, what's going on in places like Chicago and St. Louis and the inner cities of the most major countries is the fact that the fabric of the family is being torn apart. And one thing that is key to keeping a family in place is having a house and a home. And so what we've done now is we have impacted, negatively impacted um, one of the main uh, reasons to go and get a house. You know, the government is basically giving you a break if you buy a house. We've taken that away now. Um, and, and more importantly, I think when it nets out, net, net, and I, you know, if I'm wrong on this next year or in 18 months when we look at this again, then I'll, I'll, I'm not too proud to say I was wrong. But I think at the end of the day, net, net, you're going to end up paying more money out of pocket, maybe not to the federal government, but you're going to have less take-home pay because you're not able to address um, what happens with state, uh, state taxes as well. It's just that simple. Sure. And, and again, and then when you layer on top of it, when you layer on top of it, you know what it's going to do to the deficit. I don't care if it only raises the deficit by five thousand dollars. And anybody that's been in debt knows that it, that that the best way to stop um, um, stop um, the hole getting deeper is to stop digging. It's easy. That's not rocket science either. It's not algebra. If it's if it's bad, then you quit you quit digging the hole. And then what we saw today 
was the party of Lincoln, the people that have been screaming about uh, uh, taxes and in, in, uh, low costs and things. Every time uh, a Democrat raises his hand and wants to do a giveaway, what they call a giveaway, oh, no, no, that we can't afford to do that. That's going to blow a hole in the deficit. Well, that's a bunch of BS now. It's gone. I mean, the, the Democrats have got to look at this as a as almost a, a belated birthday gift. You know, they're going to take the hit. This is going to pass by all indications through the Senate with no problem. But the second that, as Ken pointed out, an American factory worker in the Midwest brings home his paycheck and he's not seeing money in that paycheck, the second he does his taxes in in uh, January of 2019 and he doesn't see more money back or less taxes out, that's a risky game for the Republicans. If you're the Democrats, you're hoping that happens. Well, and even more so, I think that, you know, the biggest seller of this, uh, of the corporate tax relief was that, you know, they're going to take this money and reinvest the American economy and create more jobs if we, if we provide tax relief for, you know, corporations, especially, you know, small and medium businesses. I think when communities, when these sort of, you know, more rural uh, or, Formerly, um, you know, former industrial towns that lost a ton of jobs in the last 20 years, if they see, and, you know, that are comprised of large amounts of Trump voters, if they see that, oh, wait, our local factory is not coming back online, or, oh, wait, none of the businesses are really hiring that much, no one is more employed than they were, uh, you know, a few, five years ago, that's also where you're going to see that pain. And I think that's also where the Republicans are on very shaky ground because you already have evidence of that, you know, incredibly embarrassing press conference that or Gary Cohn had with all those CEOs when he asked for a show of hands, who is going to take, you know, the proceeds from this corporate tax cut and reinvest in creating jobs and not one of them raised their hand. I think that's where, you're going to see, that's where you're going to see an incredible pain point uh, for Republicans as well. But, but you Charmla, don't have to I mean, exaggerate it, Sharmila, to make the point. There were f- a lot fewer hands than they were hoping for, but there were a lot more sorry, hands right. up than than was reported. You're correct, Alan. Okay. I, I, and I'm okay. Okay. That being but, the but, case, but, but, Charmla, but, but to Sharmila's point, but to Sharmila's point, the whole concept of trickle down economics. You know, I, I again, I, I joined the Republican Party uh, um, uh, with the with the election of President Reagan. I'm, I'm one of those people that they talk about in the news all the time, and, uh, and and quite frankly, we're supposed to be smart. We're supposed to be an evolving species. We have basically seen that trickle down economics does not work. That 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 given given the opportunity to 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 take extra money. Yeah, you know, some of the more forward-leaning companies, if, if they can see that this is, they can use this money to expand, they will. But at the end of the day, they're going to put that in the bank. They're going to take it home. It's just human nature, and I don't understand why we think, why we think because one party is in power over another that people are going to behave in a different manner. That's just not realistic. Yeah, but, but Ken, and I hear what you're saying, but the thing about it is then what's it going to take? I mean you have to admit – that the idea of going from 35% to 21% on the corporate tax rate side on a cap is largely, if not an incentive, it's intriguing to large corporate entities to say, all right, you know what, maybe we can make this work. I just, 
I, I guess my confusion is which is more important? Is it the bring? Is it the corporate investment of money back into the economy, or is it the reduction of the deficit uh, by collecting more taxes all the way around? I, I, you know, I think I think we have. I think everybody on this call, yeah, everybody on this call, lived long enough to see what happened to George H. W. Bush. Uh, when he tried to be honest with the American people, he got excoriated and then he got voted out of office. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, I think there, there, there needs to be a balance somewhere in between. And I realize that's easier said than done. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, we need to lower the corporate income tax to make us more competitive. But at the same time, at the same time, we need to not not do uh, damage. Uh, more damage you know, to, to, uh, to working-class people. If you're going to do a middle-class tax cut, do a middle-class uh, tax cut. But you know, there's, there's a good number of people, and I'll count myself as one of them. You know what? I, I'm, I, I don't like paying taxes, but I, rec- I, I realize that that's just part of the, uh, the, um, the requirement of being a good citizen. I'm doing okay. My family's doing okay. You know? But at the same time, I don't need a tax cut. What I need, what I need is for is for wages to increase. What I need for what what I need is for uh, lower middle income uh, people to have a chance at being able to put away money to send their kids to school. And what I need is for the overall deficit of this country to to come down such that I don't have to worry about robbing Peter to pay Paul to field a military that can get the job done when we need it done. Sharmila, you're up there in Manhattan. You're around the financial sector quite a bit. Uh, is are, are you hearing buzz that this is enough to reinvigorate corporate America to expand? Well, I am hearing from my friends who are, are in the financial and investment banking sector that they do think that this is a net positive. They do think that in the short term, this cut, it, you know, this tax reform bill is going to have a stimulative effect, and that you will see at least marginal increases in um, in wages and. And potentially, you know, and, and a tightening of the labor market. So I think the financial sector is very is very happy about this bill. I think to Alan's or sorry to Admiral Ken's point, is this going to trickle down, and uh, and are those effects going to be felt on the middle class and lower middle class uh, segments of America? I, I'm I'm doubtful. I mean, Charmel, you took tax law. I mean, you took tax law in, in law school. Uh, you're around the financial sector. You talk to your friends that are financial lawyers. Is this tax bill enough to onshore corporate entities again back into the United States? And does this eliminate a lot of the corporate loopholes that were supposedly supposed to happen to regain a lot of that outstanding tax uh, the tax bills from big corporate entities like Apple and Google and General Motors, et cetera. So again, well, I'd like to point out that I took federal income tax law, which is all about personal taxes, not corporate. But, um, but you know, I think to again another one of Admiral Ken's points. I think it'll, it will increase corporate inversions, but will that again will that translate to gains for the workers at the bottom of the totem pole? I don't know because I think that honestly it will those benefits are still going to accrue to the top segments of of the corporate structure right they're going to go to uh 
executive compensation packages, and they're going to go to stock buybacks. So they'll go to shareholders, some of which might be employees of companies, but do I think that they're really going to roll down into job growth and you know significant wage expansion? I don't think so. Alan Moore, is it is it with the passage of this is on the Senate? It sounds like the Republican Party, Donald Trump, and congressional leadership are warming up for their victory lap. Is it going to be too soon for them to do a victory lap just with passage, or is it smart for them to wait and say, see, we told you so, if they can? Well, there, there, <laughs> there's a lot of pent-up uh, desire for uh, <laughs> a, a, a victory uh, a 100-yard dash, if not a whole lap. Um, because they've had such a, uh, uh, a challenging, difficult, and ultimately failing year uh, on the legislative front. Um, and so uh, here, they, th- this whole thing came together remarkably well just last week. All, we all predicted it wouldn't be done by Christmas. We were all wrong. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I said I thought it would get done, but but I didn't expect it this fast. I think the Alabama election helped move it along because they, they, at that point they weren't sure that they had the votes and they couldn't afford to lose one. Uh, and suddenly it was like, Hey, let's get moving. Let's sort this out. Let's make some concessions here and there uh, acknowledging that, that this is not a, a, uh, the ideal way to, uh, <laughs> to pass really complicated legislation. But I, I will say this, in all of my years, and I've seen some pet tax bills pass up close, there's always stuff that has to get fixed in so-called tra- technical corrections bills after the fact. That's not an excuse for being sloppy. These guys are in a hurry, um, a, 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 in a hurry that's that's driven by politics, not by policy. Um, but uh, uh, they, they'll have their they'll have their moment. They'll have their 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 victory. But but the proof is going to be, in terms of the, the, the larger politics, is going to be next year. And it's not going to be the end of the year when people pay taxes. It's going to be much earlier in the year if and when um, uh, adjustments are made in withholding and, and checks actually go up. In terms of the stock market, most people, most of us believe that a, a portion of the run-up over the last year, which has been an extraordinary run-up, uh, is a result of the, the the likelihood that it's not just this; it's a lot of other things too. But that some of it is the expectation that a, that a tax bill would get done. Now, I want to just say a word about trickle-down. Believe me, folks, trickle-down happens the problem is it never happens enough it doesn't happen to the extent that the the proponents believe and and you can see it just with this bill this bill is going to going to cost about 1.5 trillion dollars of less revenue in a static situation if nothing else changed but most of the estimates by by disinterested third party observers say it won't pay for itself it'll still cost about a trillion. What that means is there's a half a trillion dollars of trickle down, but there's still this gap of a trillion that's left. So taxes matter. Um, The higher you tax, the lower you tax, it affects people's behavior. And that's the whole, the whole argument here. The question is, does it, does it change 
enough. And yeah, but most Alan, people I say, not in this case. Yeah, but Alan, here, here's the thing about this bill is, you know, one, did, did folks like Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Marco Rubio of Florida, who were at one point adamant no's or leaning hard no, did they sell out for something? I mean, you look at Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio got the child, uh, the, the uh, child care credit reinstated to a certain extent, but it leaves out the child health care insurance plan, the CHIP program. That's going to happen. Sep- that's going to happen separately and independently. Um, and I think every it, it should have happened before. Don't get me wrong, but that's that's really a separate issue. The thing, to, to, just in a, in a word, Rubio and Johnson acknowledged and recognized that they they actually had quite a bit of leverage, and they both used it. Um, I think Johnson was more successful than he had any right to be, and I think the outcome because he, he was interested in in these non corporate small business enterprises, the so called pass through entities, partnerships, uh, limited liability corporations, and the like, and he wanted them to get some of the benefits that were, were, were being passed on to, to actual real corporations. And I think, he, I, think he, uh, I think the changes there went too far, as I understand them, and it's really complicated stuff. Um, but he got that largely um, uh, on his own. Rubio, what he got – so. There's a big increase in the child tax credit. This was Ivanka Trump's big issue. It, it used to be $1,000. You have a kid, you get a $1,000 tax credit. Not trivial. Tax credits, dollar for dollar. They're not like deductions. And the, the, the bill raises the child tax credit to $2,000, which is really a huge boon to, uh, to, to families with numerous kids. Um, if you're poor... Uh, but working, you can get that tax credit actually refund. You, you, you can get a check from the government. You've paid all your taxes. You get all of them back plus some. It's what's called a refundable tax credit. So you get a check even if, you've, you're, if you're paying zero federal taxes. And, and in the original bill, the, the, you would only get, I think, uh, $1,000 refunded to you uh was the maximum out of the two thousand um that that higher paying the higher earning people would get and he said it's not enough and they gave him another hundred or two hundred dollars which is tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars of tax breaks it it was a huge change and he used his leverage and he got it so no i don't think they sold out um so I, right, <laughs> one right. can argue about the policy, um, uh, particularly uh, well. It, it, in yeah. either case, different people have different arguments. But right, those guys right. Use their leverage; they got stuff. Oh. When yeah, you that's only true. have one or two vote uh, majorities, you ha- you have a lot of power if you're willing to use it. That's true, Charmla. Here's my question to you: Is it strikes me that the Democrats? didn't also make note of, or at least I didn't see it, the back end of this bill. I mean, nobody is really promoting the fact that this includes a Democratic hot button like drilling in Anwar. This includes 
um, uh, the re- you know the repeal or the uh, the individual mandate or the uh, the Obamacare uh, fine tax, if you will. A lot of that wasn't brought out by the Democrats. Did the Democrats miss an opportunity here to show that hey hey there's a lot more behind this curtain that Americans need to know about. Um, I think that I think that you're right. I think that you know one thing Democrats learned uh, from from the 2016 race and with you know taking on uh, President Trump is that. When you throw too much spaghetti at the wall, the message tends to get blurred. Uh, you know, one of the, I think, most successful elements of the Republican uh, coordinated campaign in 2016 was that they had two messages against Hillary Clinton that they kept repeating over and over and over again. And it worked, right? It was Benghazi and it was emails. And they just kept repeating it over and over. With Donald Trump, there was a myriad of issues that you could have pointed to. It's, you know, his not, not releasing his tax returns, his treatment of women, his statements about Mexicans, right? There was such a broad spectrum of criticism that you could lob at him that all the criticism sort of got lost and melded together. And I think that the Democrats, in order to coalesce kind of public support against this bill and hopefully have a chance of defeating it, just focused on one or two elements, which was, you know, tax cuts for corporations and, uh, you know, it's all going to the wealthy. It's a huge giveaway to the wealthy. Well, let me ask this question around the horn because we got to go to break here. Uh, does this tax reform bill stand up, and it, does this secure Republican? Um, does this subdue Republican fears for the midterms in 2018? Alan Moore. It reduces their fears. They have plenty to be Admiral fearful Ken? of. This. this Admiral Ken. I, I don't think it reduces their fears. I, I think temporarily it might, but I think they're about to see a world of hurt coming their way. Sharmila? Yeah, I think after Doug Jones's election, they would be foolish to reduce their fears, even with this tax bill. Kind of agree with Sharmila and Ken on this one. That's the correct answer. They should not <laughs> reduce their fears. They... What? <laughs> I, I thought no, I said it first, but that's okay. That's not what you said. <laughs> I agree with Admiral Ken. I said it, I agree I said it helps them, but it doesn't fix their problems. Oh, oh. No, I don't think it I helps them. I don't think it helps them that much. Until the, until the middle class starts seeing money in their tax ret- – until they start getting a check back from the Treasury saying $2,100 or they're saving $2,100 on their annual tax outlay, uh, they got a problem. Anyway, with that – That'll be all next break. year, man. That'll Can start I, in we'll February. Say, is there time for a quick question? I'm sorry. No, uh, no, we're going to break because we got to go okay. to our next subject. Because okay. speaking, speaking of Doug Jones, uh, we're going to talk about that race from last week when we come back. This is Backroom Politics live on Black, on Blog Talk Radio from your nation's capital in Washington D.C. We will be back in uh, three minutes. Stay with us.
here in Washington, D.C. for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me again as they do every Tuesday, Sharmila Achari, Alan Moore, and Admiral Ken Carradine. Hey, we're going to talk about last week's surprise in Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama delivers Doug Jones, the Democrat, in what many are calling a surprise win over the pedophiliac horse-riding, cowboy-hat-toting, disbenched Judge Roy Moore. So it was a interesting race. It was a, I think it was a little less close than everybody thought it would be. Um, so many reasons, so many things to talk about. There's a lot of story points on this. Uh, Admiral Ken, this is your home, sweet home Alabama. How surprised were you? With the result uh, coming out uh, of uh, Roll Tide Country. Well, so um, I, I just came back. Uh, I was here this weekend visiting my mom, as I do every month. And um, the uh, the day before the election, I uh, actually sent an email out to uh, all my relatives and friends and classmates and basically said, if you guys let this win, I will forever and uh, – I will forever disavow any any association with with Alabama. I just became a full fledged Texas resident, and uh, so uh, I was I was assured that that uh, the get out the vote uh, effort uh, was uh, was in max uh, overdrive, if you will. 
And um, and so even with that, I got to admit, I was a little surprised. I was shocked. And um, and uh, I went down this weekend. I had an opportunity to talk to um, some relatives and one high school classmate. And uh, this one high school classmate, also a Navy vet, um, actually spent $10,000 of his own money uh, to rent a bus to drive people around uh, from uh, to, the, to the polling places. So um, the, the best quote that I heard, uh, I think, came from the author of the Harry Potter series um, uh, to Judge Roy Moore, God has spoken and she is black. It was pretty funny. So um, – <laughs> It was it was pretty neat. It was it was it was neat. And I think you know. And and I I went out on Twitter and I basically uh, made a comment uh, that um, you know my my uh, my late father uh, used to who was a big big time um, mover and shaker in, in the uh, the Alabama Democratic Party and who more often than not was just aghast that he had a son that was a voting Republican. Always said that you know if you don't vote. Uh, then voting doesn't really matter to you, and it just so happens that uh, last Tuesday was his uh, would have been his birthday had he been still with us. So it was a good night. I was surprised. Charmelin, how big of a surprise is this for the Dems? Um, I think it was. I would put it a fifty percent surprise. I think you know if you read a lot of the analysis and the punditry beforehand, all these sort of her, all the perfect tailwinds came together for the Democrats. You know, you needed high African-American turnout, which they got. You needed to get a good scoop of the younger millennial vote, which they got. You needed a lot of middle-of-the-road Republicans to stay home or to write write in a candidate, which they got. And all of those factors really came together to help push Doug, Doug Jones across the finish line. You wouldn't have had a victory if any of those pieces hadn't been in place. So I think the Democrats were hopefully they were cautiously optimistic, but it certainly wasn't a, a given. Alan Moore, looking, there are so many storylines regarding this, but one of the storylines that Sharma brought up that that's and as well as Ken did is talking out or talking about the get out the vote by the black voting community in Alabama. When you look at the numbers, 96% of black males who voted, voted for Doug Jones. 98% of black women registered to vote, voted, who voted, voted for Doug Jones. It, 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 there's a, it doesn't seem like that surprising, but when you look at the 2016 numbers where black votes only voted 88% for Hillary, uh, that there was a a 12% vote for Donald Trump in the black community. Are we? Is there something that we can look into those numbers that says that the Republicans should be a little nervous about how this went down? So yes, uh, absolutely, they should be nervous that that African Americans showed that they are paying attention. They will show up and. Uh, and 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 they and they are they they will vote uh, uh, on on in, in those races that uh, where they think they have a have a strong interest and here is truly a case. I I, I want to know who the the the, fo- the, the African Americans are who didn't vote for Doug Jones, right? Unless maybe they wrote <laughs> the two, in the two, um, the two and four percent who did because this guy this guy is a is an avowed 
racist. Now, you know, some people think that Trump is. I, I, I don't feel quite that. For all my criticisms of him, um, and he certainly flirts with it, um, I think that you could vote for Trump in the, in the general election and bl- believe that it was uh, sort of economic nationalism. It was in your economic interest, or maybe you had concerns about, about immigrants, which didn't get him a lot of, a big percent, but it got, a, it got him some votes. Um, but, but, uh, uh, but, but Roy Moore was just, uh, uh, just disgusting and grotesque from uh, the standpoint of many people, not least of all, uh, African-Americans, I completely agree with Sharmila about all these things that came together. And, 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 and if we're, when we're talking about the write-ins, we've got we to gotta have a shout-out to Senior Senator Richard Shelby, who publicly yeah. said, this is not the kind of person about, of Roy Moore. This is not the kind of person that, 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 that I want and that we should want representing Alabama. And uh, I did not vote for him. Um, I, I will write, and I won't vote for the Democrat. I'll write in somebody else. And there were 1.7% of the votes, really high number um, of write-ins. And then the, the only other group we left out is uh, that, that white women, although there's this divide, this class divide we talked about, uh, the higher educated whites tended to favor Jones uh, uh, over more. Um, and uh, and more got a majority of of uh, uh, of high school educated or less, um, but um, uh, Jones did better among white women than uh, than Hillary Clinton did, um, and that's re- that. So that is the that, that's sort of the other piece so that as she, when she was listing all those things, without which. Um, uh, uh, more might still have pulled out a victory uh, that there, there was a, a, a change in how, uh, in how women voted, both higher and lower educated. So it all came together and that uh, it up. Uh, I don't know. If he's, a, I don't know if he's conceded yet. Has he? No, <laughs> he has not. But that's just well, a waste Adam of everybody's time. Adam one can. more thing. When you talk about statistics, one more thing. The black turnout for Doug Jones in Alabama was higher than it was for Barack Obama. Phenomenal, absolutely. And and the other thing, but but hold on, that's that's what needs to get Republican attention. That that can happen if they're motivated. Here's what surprised me about this: looking at the numbers, looking at the exit polling, the number that really surprised me was, you know, uh, Alan, you bring up the women vote. Looking at the exit numbers, given give or take a point, it was basically fifty fifty split down the middle of women voting for Jones versus women voting for Roy Moore. That surprised me a lot. I would have thought that that gap would have gone bigger for Doug Jones. Is is is, is that to me? You can interpret it as and and Sharmila, correct me if I'm wrong. I can interpret it as, you know, there's only a smaller percentage of women that are getting fed up with these type of candidates. They grab them by the insert word here, the uh, the the horrible actions of Judge Roy Moore. He's still got 50% of the vote from women. Should that be a disturbing number to look at, Sharmila? 
it is a disturbing number to think about. But, I mean, when you look at the support that Donald Trump got nationwide, he got over 53% of white women. So it is a it is a, a marked decrease, and it sh- I think it shows with both the the female turnout for Jones and the African-American turnout for Jones that they viewed Roy Moore as a much more existential threat than they did Donald Trump, because I think Roy Moore kind of represented the extreme of Trumpism. You know, and I sa- I've said this on previous shows, Roy Moore said the things that Donald Trump only implies. And so Alan Moore I think is- that... I oh, go ahead, Charma. Go ahead. I'm this, sorry. This, I think hopefully for you know for the GOP primaries in 2018, and you know, and Cory Gardner has said this, Richard Shelby has said this, Jeff, Jeff Flake has said this. They've all said we need to start fielding better candidates. The days of fielding people like Roy Moore or Todd Akin or Sharon Engel should hopefully be behind us because because as because voters are showing that now they are truly rejecting this type of rhetoric and this type of extreme right hijacking of the Republican Party. So I think hopefully that'll be something that's good for as much as I want Democrats to be victorious in the 2018 midterms in both the House and the Senate. I think it is going to be better for our society if we're fielding more center candidates on each side of the aisle. Sharma, going off of what you just said, is the problem on both sides of the aisle. In what respect? The, 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 the finding of the better candidates. Do Democrats have the well, same I think problem? Demo- I think Democrats have started cor- – they have had it for a long time, or they've had the problem in – you know, Jeff Sessions in 2014, I believe, ran unopposed, right? They've just given up on fielding candidates in a lot of these deep red districts, and now they're finally turning the tide with a lot of these you know, smaller grassroots organizations that are finally dedicating you know, time and money into – finding good local candidates and grooming them and training them and teaching them how to run campaigns and bringing them up through the pipeline. And you're absolutely right. Democrats did drop the ball for a long time, and they're finally, finally starting to play catch up. I mean, Admiral Ken, you know, finding better candidates, we had a primary in Alabama, which Roy Jones won over somebody who should have been by all means. I'm sorry, Roy Moore, rather, uh, that Roy Moore won that the other candidate by all means would have been more palatable than a judge Roy Moore. Uh, well, is maybe, this, maybe well. so, maybe so, so you have, so and I, I made the same comment uh, to, to some of my friends and relatives uh, in a, in a group setting over the weekend. And uh, what, what I got in response was some schooling, which I'm always willing to get with just about anybody except for Alan or, or Dan. Um <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what? <laughs> and and that was that was the that was the that was the bizarre uh, uh, and strange um, uh, placement of Luther Strange into this mix. So you remember the Love Gov, um, the governor of Alabama, who basically got caught having an inappropriate relationship with one of his staffers. Well, during the Love Gov's departure, Luther Strange got to come in, got got named. Uh, to, to, to succeed Jeff Sessions temporarily. So there was a lot of really weird stuff going on in there about that. So a lot of the Alabamians weren't really happy with, with that whole um, uh, mystical, bizarre uh, uh, insertion of Luther Strange in, into the mix. And, it, it, you know, so 
I, I, I guess I, I, I had the same thought. I mean, you, you guys knew Roy Moore's history. Holy cow. But they, they also said, well, Luther Strange was no, uh, was, no, was no diamond either. So there you go. Well, and remember, so, bef- before we go ahead, McConnell waged a vicious campaign against uh, Mo Brooks because he thought Mo Brooks was going to be the main challenger to getting Re- Luther Strange reelected. So he directed a ton of funding into going after Mo Brooks and pushing him out of the primary early, which allowed Moore's candidacy candidacy to ascend. Because to Admiral Ken's point, people already viewed Luther Strange as a very tainted candidate. Yep. Yeah, and I think to both both points that that we have to be careful drawing too many for for the reasons just stated and one more um, uh, that's just so obvious uh, about drawing too many conclusions about Roy Moore and getting better candidates and stuff like that. When Roy Moore prevailed in the primary, no one knew about his, his stalking of little girls in malls and dating or assaulting uh, 14-year-olds. If uh, Imagine any other candidate in, the, in, in, in just about any place with that, when that would pop out when you're getting ready for uh, the, uh, the, the, the election, the primary, the, the, the whatever. And, and uh, so, you know, Roy Moore... <laughs> For for all of his bizarre, disgusting history, he did beat a, a flawed Luther Strange. The conventional wisdom was he would win uh, against uh, Doug Jones. And then all of this stuff came out, and the world pivoted and said, no, no, no. It, and <laughs> he still made a race of it. Yeah. Um, well, right, and but so... Ellen... People were no, go ahead, establishment Republicans were against uh, Roy Moore long before these the Washington Post allegations came out. You know the the man was to Justin's point removed from the bench of the Supreme Court twice in Alabama. He was he was a horrible he was a horrible candidate who I think no offense <laughs> to the to the people of Alabama was 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 on his way to victory. And and he's not the kind of candidate I want Republicans to have. He used to be in the world, if you will, of the of, of the Todd Akins and stuff. And then he moved into new territory that's sort of unknown of being a, a, a pedophile with with multiple credible accusations. And and that's what finally finished him off um, uh, with certainly with with uh, with the people who wrote in. I don't think I don't think Richard Shelby would have gone public had had the pedophilia stuff come out. I don't think the women would have pivoted. We you know we were talking about winning fifty. I don't remember what Trump's margin was with white women, but it was well over fifty. Um, it was it was fifty three. Fifty three was all. You, so and that was after think, the Access Hollywood no, tape came out. No, I thought yeah. you said I thought you said it was fifty three nationwide. I'm talking about in Alabama. Oh, in Alabama? No, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, um, I mean Alabama. I think Trump might have had sixty uh, percent of the women uh, of, I, of white women. I mean that that was a it was it was a significant change there, and that was all about the uh, the pedophilia, a lot the people who stayed home and so on. Anyway, um, uh, but so, he said 
he still did, did rather well, and I think a big piece of the reason that he still did, did really well, while the while while Sherman was right, uh, most of the establishment Republicans came out against him. Um, the president and many of the, uh, the 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 I guess his his closest supporters in the House and in the Senate have got this war on the establishment politics. I mean, Mitch McConnell. Was you know was 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 uh, was dog poop on everybody's shoe in Alabama there for a while, thanks to uh, Roy Moore, and I think he he still Roy Moore he still made a race of it. I think mostly because of this populist bent that seems to be going on right now, in the belief that the establishment is the problem that we have rather than part of the solution. I think had that not been there, I think in in, in any other any other race. As soon as um, uh, one of those women, and it took a number of them, but as soon as just one of them uh, had had uh, voiced a complaint, um, he would have been done. Just like in any other time uh, back during the Access Hollywood days of Donald Trump, uh, that would have killed any other candidate's chances for, for for election. But there's just this weird populist anti-establishment thing going on right now, um, and as long as that's got wheels, I think you're going to see. Some races that we're going to basically look at and scratch our head going, okay, why is this person even still here? Well, because he hates the establishment. Okay, great. Well, let me jump in real quick because joining us on the line right now, he is a man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel, what's your take? He heard me talking about him. <laughs> no, my, well, my take is the, the, the populist bent is only sort of happening on one side. Um, it's happening on the Republican side and the Roy Moore stuff is, I mean, I, I appreciate what, uh, what Admiral Ken was talking about, but it's also the, the deplorables, the, those folks are out there and to the credit of the Republican establishment folks that put their hands in their pockets and essentially voted other or stayed home. That isn't where the Republican party is. And I'm, Pretty comfortable saying that uh, the Democratic Party is going to lose that seat in Alabama two years from now, um, and it's not. I'm not completely convinced another lunatic three years from be now. the Republican nominee. Or excuse me, three yeah, years. From yeah, now. we got correct on that one, Daniel. Yeah. It's three years from now. He's up in 2019. But regardless, to me, 2020. It, 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 well, 2020 rather. I'm sorry. But here's the thing: is this sounds like a problem, Daniel, that you're talking about. The guy hasn't even been seated yet, and it sounds like you guys are conceding it back to a Republican anyway. Uh, it sounds like to me that if, if Doug Jones, who came out literally the day after and said that he was not going to, quote-unquote, vote in one block, he's willing to work both sides, it seems to me that if Doug Jones comes out to be a la like uh, Senator Manchin of West Virginia, he's very popular in a blood red state. I would figure that this could play out the same way. Why concede now and why not have him focus on being the moderate voice of Democrats, a practical Democrat in the Senate? Well, I think well, Dan is all, right to worry about West Virginia blood red. What's that? The West West Virginia wasn't blood red. Jay Rockefeller and and Robert Byrd were senators from the state for how long? 
as well. You are talking about, we've also had Democratic representatives and Democratic senators from places like Oklahoma. West Virginia is like Oklahoma and like Alabama. They may have had Dixiecrats back then, but they now bleed blood red. Uh, I think that if if Joe Manchin can be successful as a Democratic member of the Senate in West Virginia, I think Doug Jones could follow suit and be very, very popular as, you know, this is a pro-gun rights Democrat in Alabama. The only baggage that Doug Jones brings is his pro-choice vision, and he can moderate that if he cast it. Well, it's so, also going to really depend on who his opponent is in 2020. Thank you. Well, true. Right? If, if, it's, if it's a Roy Moore clone, then yeah, then Doug Jones may be safe. But if it's a more moderate establishment, you know, Richard Shelby type who was a Democrat turned Republican, then I think, you know, the Democrats certainly would be stupid not to worry about holding on to this seat in three years. But I think a lot of Justin's right. A lot of things, a lot of intervening factors can happen. And the biggest, the biggest uh, factor in whether or not Doug Jones can keep his seat is who his opponent's going to be. Yeah, but, but maybe, but maybe, like Doug, it, maybe it, Doug Jones will convert. more. <laughs> What was that, Dan Lipner? I, I, I want to say, let me say one I thing his, about his Dan's comment. could be Roy Moore. It could yeah, be. Yeah, it could be. So, so I, 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 don't, I didn't want to go unremarked upon Dan's comment that, that, uh, that what I thought I heard him saying that, that uh, this populism was unique to uh, Republicans. And, and I'm not, I think we shouldn't tell Bernie or Elizabeth Warren uh, about that. But I wanted to shift gears and say also <laughs> regard to Alabama <laughs> – I think that that the outcome How many of that election. Do we elect the the outcome of <laughs> the Elizabeth Warren and Bernie? The yeah. the outcome of that election was not a great day for Steve Bannon, um, and uh, I think we you know he had his plan that he was going to challenge every every uh, sitting Republican and replace them with uh, people like well Roy Moore, um, well and. Uh, and and, Alan, and I don't know that he. I'm not saying he's going away or that he's done, but uh, it's pretty hard to not see this as a major setback for the Steve Bannon movement and the people who are funding him. Alan Moore, here's the bigger question. You know, the Doug Jones win has given some that I talked to in the Republican Party some pause, saying that maybe the Trump nationalistic coattails aren't as long as they thought has this diminished donald trump as being an asset in 2018 in the midterms he did not help himself uh much as he tried to say i told you a guy was a loser um he was all in um and he disgusted a lot of people around him um and uh uh and people who were still looking for a reason to uh, to be supportive of him um, to 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 basically go in at that point in time after distancing himself and 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 uh, and getting involved uh, on the uh, against Moore for Luther Strange, and then the 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 the, the, pedoph- the pedophilia stuff comes out about Roy Moore. He denies it, and I'm guessing that Donald Trump said, you know, I denied it. He denied it. What's the difference? I guess I should support him. I have no idea how the man's mind works, but. But he did not help himself. Um, Admiral but, Kendall, uh, I think Steve Bannon is the bigger loser. The President Trump is so uh, so tough on eyes. <laughs> Nothing seems to to stick. But 
but but this is what Bannon has been all about, and he can't avoid uh, uh, the tar from this one. Admiral Ken, being from Alabama, you talked to the folks down there. Is does this affect Donald Trump's standing in Alabama? I don't think so. Uh, I, I I don't think so. I think uh, I think that Luke that this whole deal with uh, Roy Moore was unique in an un, in an unto it, unto itself. Um, the people in Alabama that are supportive of Donald Trump are still supportive of Donald Trump, and those that were not are still not. I think that because of the bizarre background and just the constant reminder um, on network television uh, by your your common ad- ordinary quote folk unquote, um, people got embarrassed by that. And they were not willing to, um, to to basically let themselves be associated with it. And I think that I think, you know, I guess maybe to uh, to, to Alan's point, um, the 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 Republican Party um, has got enough things to worry about right now um, because of the things that Donald Trump did. But I don't think that this election. Um, uh, is is showing the death knell of of of, of the uh, the path that, that 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 President Trump is on. I think if you're looking for something that's going to tell you more about that, you go back to the special elections that were held a few weeks ago, like the uh, the governorship in Virginia. I think that is more uh, telling than than uh, this election in Alabama. Round round the horn, yes or no? Did this election really hurt Republicans? Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, it hurt Republicans because they were associated with this idiot, this pedophile, this scumbag. Sharmila. Yes, because I think especially it showed that Trumpism doesn't extend beyond Donald Trump. Admiral Ken. What Sharmila and Allen said. <laughs> Dan Lipner. It depends. If it's it, it at the moment, the short term is, yeah, it harms them. It, however, if Alan's point that this is the beginning of the end of Steve Bannon, it helps. Well, I mean, that brings up a good point. Dan Lipner, does the end of Steve Bannon mean the end of Donald Trump? We could only be so lucky. <laughs> Alan Moore, you're laughing in the background. Yeah, no, he's not, he's not dependent on, on Bannon. Not anymore. Um, yeah, he's already in the White House. We'll give it yeah. that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the best and biggest stories of 2017 are in our opinion. So this is going to close out the year for us. But this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We will be back in three minutes. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. I got that old feeling 
the moment that you danced by, I felt a thrill. And when you caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once again, I seemed to feel that old yearning. And I knew the spark of love was still burning. There'll be no new romance for me. It's foolish to start for that old feeling is still in my heart. This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. segment of the year for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Prayer from your nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Before I get to our last segment, I've got to give you some breaking news. Uh, Dateline Washington, Dateline Congress. Apparently, the House is going to have to vote on the tax reform bill again. After doing a big victory lap in the House of, yeah, we got this. Yeah, we won. Well, apparently they haven't won yet. Uh, Democrats have found three provisions, according to the AP and uh, to NBC News. They found three provisions in the Republican tax bill that violate Senate rules that have to be removed before the Senate can vote on it, including uh, issues regarding the... um, Uh, Savings accounts for homeschooling expenses, the bill's title, and the criteria involving endowments to private universities. It is enough to get it sent back across the street to the House of Representatives, and uh, that is an interesting, interesting turn of events. 
Alan Moore, help me out here. Uh, this is more procedural than anything, but when they say that there was criteria that violated uh, Senate rules, how does that play out? So the, 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 the weird thing here, you, most people understand that the, that the Senate has sort of this unlimited debate and this thing called a filibuster where people can talk, and it takes typically 60 votes out of the full 100 to shut off extended debate. Um, the, the tax bill is being passed under, under a, uh, a special procedure called hmm. reconciliation that has to do with the budget process and measures that, that are considered under reconciliation have very special rules um, so that you can't just go rewrite any, any law that you want to um, with a simple majority. And it ha- it, it, the, with regard to a tax bill, it, it has to be primarily about revenue, um, uh, plus or minus, um, and not about something else. And, and the parliamentarian of the Senate has the power, when asked, um, and, the, and the responsibility to decide whether it, uh, a particular provision is consistent with the rules governing uh, this special reconciliation process or not. Apparently, they, they, they discovered – I have no idea why they were only just discovering it now and why it wasn't last night, yesterday – the other day, early this morning before the House voted, because it's embarrassing to vote and then have to come vote again, it, it happens. But, but that's what's going on here. They don't want to bring a bill up to the Senate that will be challenged by the Democrats as in violation of the rules and have the, the, the parliamentarian and hence the chair rule, yep, the, the, the point of order is well taken, um, and, and then it takes a supermajority to be able to consider it, the, the whole thing they're trying to avoid in the first place. It, it, but it sounds like to me, Alan Moore, that right now NBC and AP are reporting that this is going to probably take a vote on tomorrow. Could it be pushed out past Christmas if they really had to? Well, if they had to, this is the kind of thing where they'll go in They'll, they'll, they'll either strip or modify the language so that it will, it will be consistent with Senate rules. It shouldn't take that long, but it could take a couple hours. The Senate was hoping to vote tonight and be done and go home. This could, this could uh, cause them a few hours. I, I have no idea whether members of that House – I'm guessing they haven't left yet because they just did, acted today. Um, yeah. You don't want to have to call I, people I, back. They're on but, CNN. They're still there. <laughs> yeah. So, and I can look out. It'll I can take look a out little the, bit of time. It's a hiccup. I can look out the window. What, I can look out the back window here on Capitol Hill, and I still see a glowing light on top of the dome. They're still working. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll um, we'll keep an eye on that story as it goes forward. But all indications are that there's the another, House will take. There's it. another story. Another story that just broke, which I thought you were going to mention, and that is and. In, in the Virginia elections of this year, um, which we've talked about the significance of because Democrats uh, turned out in large numbers, particularly women, um, uh, making the, the governor's race surprisingly easy, also made totally unexpected changes in the state assembly and in the state well, it was Senate, just one change which had that everything majority. But there, there, was a, there was a recount of one particular race, the recount was completed today. A Democrat won that race by a single vote, a single vote 
out of something like 44,000 votes uh, cast. Um, and, and now, assuming that, that uh, result holds, uh, I'm sorry, it was about 23,000 23, votes total, um, <laughs> the uh, uh, candidate Simons beat incumbent Yancey by a single vote, which right. would put, uh, which would make the assembly 50-50. There's no way right. to break ties. So you, if you don't have 51, things don't happen. Um, this is a big deal in uh, yeah, not only be, in Virginia, it's going to be wheeling and dealing season. It's going to be wheeling yeah, and dealing. It's a reminder of the significance of uh, of the Virginia elections uh, uh, this year yeah. and and the the wave that occurred. Right. Well, we're we'll. we'll we're going to obviously look at Richmond a lot closely here in the coming year as that session kicks in. Uh, it's wheeling and dealing season, like I said, down in Richmond. Hey, uh, last segment of the year, we tend to do a what we think are the biggest stories and kind of reflect a little bit about this year. Uh, Alan Moore, real quickly in, in five minutes, what were your three big stories this year? What do you think were the three biggest? Sure. Yeah, and I'm going to apologize because if I'm going to do that and then I'm going to bail, even though I know you guys are all going to say, wow, that was brilliant what he just said, but I'm not going to be able to hear it. So uh, first point is that President Trump is still President Trump. We we thought he might, some of us hoped and others thought and stuff, others said never in a million years that he might grow and evolve. Um, He seems not to. He seems to have sort of doubled down on personalizing, on attacking on uh, often stepping on his own, um, shall we say, message. Um, and, and it's a re- reduced his effectiveness. Uh, it's reduced, it's, it's held his popularity down in the 35, or his approval down in the 35% range. We're going to finally get a tax bill in spite of that, but it, it really doesn't bode well. Uh, the second big issue, I think, is the whole sexual harassment, sexual assault uh, matter, which has really come to the fore um, it started with Harvey Weinstein um, it, it, for this year. It didn't start this year. It started years ago, but it really took off. Uh, and the backlash has forced all sorts of leaders in Hollywood and corporate America and national media, congressional leaders. And then yesterday, a, a court of appeal, a federal court of appeals judge to uh, to, to, to step down. It, it's quite remarkable. Um, and and it's uh, it, it, it's certainly way overdue. Um, the ultimate ramifications aren't, aren't, aren't ultimately clear, but it's a change in America uh, and, and the right kind of change. There's Russia, huge story, uh, and uh, the, the relationship between President Putin and, and, and Donald Trump, who are still B- BFFs, even though we know Russia tried to involve itself in the campaign, did involve itself in the campaign might have influenced the outcome that that we'll, we'll, we'll never know. There might have been a collusion. There was certainly an effort to collude. We just don't know if it actually uh, uh, succeeded and if it did, uh, if that was illegal. But uh, U.S.-Russia stuff is huge. North Korea, the, 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 the last one, the most unpredictable you know, country and our probably greatest risk right now. We, um, yeah, I'm we said sorry three. to we bail said on three. you guys. Three. But, Top three. I know. <laughs> I know, and so, so I got that was that last one was three A. So oh oh no 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 that's it you're going to timeout well you're leaving us anyway so you're going to timeout. Uh, that's right. Fair enough. No 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 those are those my are recommendation. What's that? My recommendation: don't let me speak anymore on this program. <laughs> we 
do let you speak See on you this guys. program. You get tons of time to speak on this program. <laughs> he he made me today. Al, 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 today, Al, don't listen, let me speak anymore today. Listen, uh, appreciate yeah. it. Uh, Merry, happy holidays to you and your family. Merry Christmas. Uh, wish you all the best, and we'll see you in the new year. Thanks for joining us, Alan. Hey, uh, great, great season to you guys, and see you. Talk to you in the new year. Bye bye. Bye bye. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Russia for a second, because that that's that's kind of been dominating. You could literally have North Korea launching missiles. You can have a pedophilia. Uh, you could have a, a pedophile running for Senate in Alabama, and no matter what's happening, you still get Russia in your news cycle. Uh, Sharma, is, is, is that is that in fact the big news story of 2017? It's certainly one of them. Um, you know, I would say I would I would annotate it, annotate it to make it slightly different from Allen's uh, by saying I think the firing of James Comey and the appointment and the series of events that led to the appointment of Bob Mueller is a huge part of that story. The kind of the motivations behind uh, President Trump's firing of James Comey is, you know, deeply revealing unto his mindset and kind of his his opinions on the independence of the, ju- the judiciary. And that's something not to be taken lightly at all. So, Sharma, let me ask you, and, and, and I want to talk about this Russia thing for a second, because that did dominate a lot of our news cycle and, and the news cycle here in Washington. You, you know, as we get closer and closer and we're seeing more and more movement, uh, we, there's a lot of rumor going around Republican circles that uh, Donald Trump is, in fact, thinking about firing uh, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, uh, by the end of the year. It, it, how how detrimental would that be to his administration? Is he holding a big hand grenade by doing it? I think it would be cataclysmic, and I think that that's why, and even President Trump has denied that he is even thinking about it, because I think he realizes what a what a torpedo that would be in the side of his administration. Is There's Dan no Lindner, way... Go ahead, Dan Lipner, I, I got to ask you this question because you know we're hearing a lot of buzz coming out of the uh, the White House and then here around D.C. about Trump's legal advisors. From and I know this is going to be hard for you, Dan, but I need you to dig deep on this. From an objective view, do you think the president is getting good legal advice from both White House counsel and outside counsel on this Mueller deal? I mean, it's hard to tell. Uh, I, I mean, sincerely, since, I mean, the handful of uh, uh, of lawyers for the president have been on television. Um, by definition, that makes them not good legal advisors because you shouldn't be showing your hand on TV. Uh, this is the history of the phrase, the full Ginsburg, that all all lawyers that were watching this representation of Monica Lewinsky said, no, that's not how you do this. And mysteriously, once he went away, she was treated much, much better. Um, that said, we, b- behind closed doors, we don't exactly know what, what advice the president is getting because he clearly is not uh, listening to it, <laughs> which makes it hard to tell. So, um, the, the advice he's taking and running with, it still very well 
could just be the Kremlin Potomac that he's going to, not his legal team. So it, it's hard to tell. So, I mean, I mean, you talk about Donald Trump's legal team being on TV. I mean, my God, every time you turn it on, you see Jay Sekulow. It's, I'm almost expecting him, much like we had the dancing Edos. I, I'm expecting to see the dancing Sekulows soon. Good grief. Yeah, Jay Sekulow is not, not a great attorney. He's claimed more credit than he deserves, for even for his number of times he's appeared before the court. He's had the backing of the ACLU for a number of those cases, though he would never mention it. <laughs> that too is true. Uh, Charmelay, do you think that the president's getting good legal advice on this? I don't think that's the right question. I think the question is, is he actually listening to and accepting any of the legal advice that he's being given? And I think the answer to that question is clearly no. The president wants to do what he wants to do, and he wants to believe what he wants to believe. And whatever any lawyer tells him is window dressing. So I think that, you know, as you see with any other advisor that he has, the question is less, is he getting good advice, but is he capable of following that advice? And Ken, we're hearing rumors that, uh, and much of it sparked by outside counsel for the president, that the independent, the special counsel may be winding up his investigation, could be done as early as beginning of January. You think there's any truth to that, or is that just uh, a wish letter to Santa? Uh, I think it's a wish letter to Santa. Um, I think uh, it's. I think both those that rumor, as well as the rumor um, that the president is thinking about firing Robert Mueller, uh, both of those those items are, uh, I think, conditioning the battlefield. Um, I think the president really wants this to be over, and I think he's wishing and pushing for it. And I think there's something to be said about, uh, you know, if it's not over, then I may go from cons- not considering firing Robert Mueller to considering firing Robert Mueller. Uh, I think Sharma is partially right. I think he understands that this would be uh, a big damn deal if he does that. But let's face it, this is the guy we just, we just, we just finished talking about. It. This is the guy who, who basically was heard on tape talking about his treatment of women, and he still got elected. Right, and so I think there's a there's an air of Teflonism that that is surrounding him, and, and near as I can tell, I mean all of these guys, Jared Kushner, uh, Trump Jr., maybe even the president, they think that the rules, regular rules for regular people, don't apply to them, and I, I don't think they're willing to let go of that belief until it gets explained to them. Yeah, they they really kind of do, dude, uh, and and uh, and, and dudettes. It's it's you know, but I, I don't I don't I don't believe that I don't believe any of the, the comments coming out of the White House with regard to he's not planning on doing it. And right. I do believe that he's wanting he's pushing. He wants it to be done because you, you hear in his comments, he's getting on the uh, the helicopter the other day before he went down to embarrass himself in front of the FBI Academy. Um, yeah. You know, everybody says that there's no collusion. Even the Democrats say there's no collusion. I, I don't know where he's getting at, but boy, it, whatever he's taking, I hope it's cheap, plentiful and yeah. doesn't show up in a drug screen. Admiral Ken, while we're on with you, what do you think your three big stories are this year? Uh, two of them Alan already mentioned. Um, um, I would say the other one uh, for me would be the president's reaction to, um, to the Charlottesville um, 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 protests. 
Um, I think that uh, whether you know he and his ilk uh, and his supporters want to admit it, um, they took the side of uh, of white supremacists and and, and uh, white nationalists, and um, and it left you know, the rest of us who who, who are not um, um, eligible for membership in those organizations readily um, scratching our head, going, "Wow, this is the president of the United States! Holy cow!" Oh, didn't even think about that. Good one. Good one, Ken. Dan Lipner, what in your mind, what was the three big stories this year? Um, Moscow and the Potomac still got to be number one. But uh, the sexual harassment and the fundamental change in, in at least how it's being dealt with at the moment uh, has to be Number two, but I'm still to be seen what the long-term effects are, are going to be. And number three, uh, the continuing decline of the standing of mainstream media and it being used as a ploy by the cynical uh, leaders in public. Uh, people not understanding what true media is and what true media isn't and conflating it all in one and the same, and that infotainment is not the same as journalism. Very good. That's that's interesting. Um, going around the horn real quick, I, I want you to take a look at everything that we've dealt with in 2017. Give me three predictions about what we're going to see in 2018. Charma, let's start with you. Well, do I get to do my top three stories? I thought you did your top three stories. I didn't. I'm sorry, Charlotte, I'm sorry. Usually I, I would have gone to you first. I would have given you uh, New York privilege. Oh, wait, you already have that. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry about that. That's Go okay. ahead, Well, Charmla, two of them were already covered. Stories. Yeah, two of them were already covered. Um, my number one was, uh, as Admiral Ken said, Charlottesville and the president's abhorrent reaction to it. Uh, number two was Harvey Weinstein and the sort of sexual abuse and harassment kind of reckoning scandal and watershed moment that women are experiencing. And then the third was the U.S. withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accords and our continued, the continued deterioration of our standing across the world as a moral and political leader. Wow. That went deep, Charmla. Great, great one. Uh, Sharma, I want to ask you a question. You know, you brought up one of the stories, and that was the the, the Harvey Weinstein kicking off the Me Too movement. I actually got two. I got a question for you, and then a question for uh, Dan Lipner. First question to you: There's uh, there's now talk that possibly Senator Al Franken will not actually resign, and will actually let them go through the ethics committee process. Is that a good idea for Dems or a bad idea? I think it's a bad idea, and I think I, that I ship know. has sailed. Um, you know, I, I know that Joe Manchin and one or two senators who chose not to be named have, have floated the idea, but I think that Franken is committed to resigning. A successor has already been appointed, and I think that, again, for Democrats to really retain the moral high ground on this, on this issue, they can't waver. They can't say, oh, yeah. actually, you know, it was only six women he groped. It's fine. Come on back. That's not going to fly with the women of America. Dan Lipner, you had some to add? Yeah, I'm, I'm on a different page on this one. So the, the, Fra- the Franken details are, are, have been the ones that made me most uncomfortable. 
um, as far as what, what came out. And one of the things that I actually read the piece about somebody who claimed that she was, was groped while getting a photograph. And uh, that was knowing as what I know about, about politicians, the number of times these things happen, um, it, it seemed iffy to me. So that, and on top of that, immediately, all of, I believe, two days after Franken announced his uh, resignation, uh, Chris, Kirsten Gillibrand uh, had what was clearly a, a prepared staging of a, af, after that, after uh, Franken's move uh, to then go after the president. Um, I'm uncomfortable with how that played out. Um, not to say are you, are you thinking, Dan, let me ask you this. Well be, you, he might very well be one of them, but I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with how it played out. Dan, are you, are you, are you suggesting possibly that Al Franken was a sacrificial lamb in all this? I am suggesting people put uh, short-term political interests ahead of fairness. And for the party to do it against its own is challenging. I would say that had it been one or two accusers, but when the chorus becomes that loud, I think that that's when you when you hit a tipping point. I think Al, I said this before. Al Franken could have survived. It was one woman who came forward with allegations, but when it's six, seven, eight, that's that's a pattern. And, and a possible growing number the behavior, from there too. Right, and whether or not yeah, you think no, the behavior we, 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 the behavior involved is iffy or doesn't quite constitute misconduct. It's the pattern of behavior. It's the pattern of abuse yeah. that's just as damning. No, no, as but the no. It, you're, let's be clear. We're talking about the pattern, the pattern of claims, not the the pattern of behavior. And it's when you're talking about a public figure, um, unlike the Matt Lauer issue, um, who some of the uh, alleged victims very much want to be kept out of the news circus. And I think that. To, they deserve that privacy if they want it. That's not exactly what the Franken thing was. And being careful um, how that is handled, and it is it is a thing. And I'm not saying that everyone was doing things for, for the wrong reasons, but it has been known to happen. Um, and the the initial claim was began to hit speed bumps almost out of the gate. So we have to, again, it's an issue of fairness. And like I said, the whole thing makes me uncomfortable and the way Gillibrand handled it um, for her own political interests almost immediately, uh, I I find troubling. So Sharmila, I want to ask you another question regarding this before we move on. And Last week, Time Magazine mentioned the hashtag MeToo movement as the person or persons of the year. Uh, There was some pushback by some in the feminist community saying that it just commercializes and almost cheapens the movement. Do you agree with that? I don't. I think that, by and large, this has been a beneficial moment for women, right? This is I can't name a single woman that I know in my personal life, including myself, who hasn't experienced some form of harassment or abuse or unwanted attention, whether in the workplace or from 
a person that, you know, a man that they depended on or a person that, you know, had a disproportionate amount of power from them. And I think that hearing all these people come on the record and say, look, this happened to me, it can happen to anyone, has been very powerful and has been, and like I said, is, is a watershed moment, moment for women in this country when we can finally feel comfortable to say, these things are happening to everyone. They're happening to your sisters and your neighbors and your, and your friends. And everyone but, has to be responsible. It can't just be a woman's problem anymore. Everyone's got to bear some responsibility for this. But the, does the Time magazine co- does the Time magazine cover take a little bit away from the watershed? No, because I think it it emphasizes it. I think it emphasizes how important. And you know, to be to be fair, I'm not familiar with the feminist criticism that you're talking about. But from my perspective, I think it emphasizes, even though this. This story came out late in the year. It emphasizes how important it is. Right. And how right. important this conversation is. Very good. 15 and, minutes and, left and, in the show. If I could, just because I, I, I would prefer this not to be a, a gender split. Um, Sharma was absolutely right, and she, she deserves the last word, and I'm going to ask you to go back there. But the but the the feminist critique and I've been following this closely um, has been partially the, the making sure it's taken seriously and not all crimes being they're not all the same so and I think I'm trying to remember the uh, the reporter that said there's a difference between being a jerk and behaving badly versus the misuse of power and they're they're these are not all the same things and. Unfortunately, the the man, mankind, and I use that phrase deliberately, has not exactly been great in in defending women and standing up for women on these issues and looking the other way. But it's also important that as 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 men step back and and rightly, not just I guess allow is the wrong phrase, but to listen and hear these complaints. That also those speaking and those who have been shouting from the mountaintops in the past also care with this power that is now there, and don't don't incorrectly tarnish people um, that in the wrong way. So there's that nuance, and I think that's where part of that critique actually lies. And that nuance with media frenzy does not always occur. But I think Sharma, Sharma I'm going to give you last word on this before we move on. Well, I can agree with Stan's point that the nuance with media frenzy, uh, that you, that that combination is is bad, right? Media frenzy does not allow for nuance. But at the same time, I would kind of object right. to that idea of well, being a jerk is different than misusing power because you're only really you can only really be a jerk when there's an imbalance of power. Right. If there's some guy who's you know, oh, no, 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 no. heavier than you Sharmala, and six feet tall, Sharmala, and let me you're not going to you. step to him. No, no, wait, Sharmala. There's you. you you're much you, less you're likely to you step. Only, you're saying you can only be a jerk if there's an imbalance of power. Have you met me? <laughs> I'm a jerk all the time. <laughs> but I definitely hear what you're saying, Sharmala, and I want to definitely give you the last word on this. Um, so let's turn this around with the 10 minutes that we've got left. Uh, predictions for 2018. Sharma, I'm going to start with you. Well, I feel bad. We haven't talked to Admiral Ken in a while. 
Now, I'm going to start with you. My moderator okay. privilege. Oh, all right. Ken's going to get the last. Uh, Ken's getting the last word on this. Okay. Well, predictions for 2018. I think we'll see more of President Trump being Trump. I think that we are going to see more of more consequences, hopefully, with the Me Too movement coming out of the Me Too movement, and hopefully more meaningful change in terms of you know sexual harassment, abusement awareness, and and policies in both the public and private sector. And lastly, I hope we're going to see a big Democratic wave in November. Ah, okay. Well, one can always dream. Uh, Dan Lipner, three predictions for 2018. Uh, Twitter collapses once uh, everyone discovers that President Pence doesn't like to use the thing. Uh, (laughs) The... Uh, Democratic wave uh, in the off-year elections, uh, at the, and this is a bit of news that apparently Democrats are fielding challengers against every Republican member of Congress in Texas uh, because they think there's actually a shot to turn Texas purple, and Trump may have moved uh, – uh, Texans with Mexican heritage uh, in a different direction, more dramatically than expected, um, because uh, Texas, uh, in Texas, uh, people with Mexican ancestry have voted Republican in the past. That might no longer be true. Um, and last but not least, uh, Patriots don't make it to the Super Bowl. Oh, oh, good grief. All right, you're in timeout for a second. Admiral Ken, give you the last give you the last word. What are your three predictions for 2018? Russia probe continues, um, and uh, it's going to get serious. Um, I predict that the president will fire Robert Mueller, um, therefore thereby uh, casting the country into uh, the second constitutional crisis. Uh, that I've seen in my lifetime. And I am predicting that uh, we're going to do something uh, militarily in North Korea. Wow. That's a big prediction. You think we're going to use uh, military force on the Korean Peninsula? I, I think we're going to do something military, militarily in North Korea. I mean, uh, against North Korea. Wow. Either, 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 either directly or by proxy, but I think we're going to, I think we're going to do I, something. God, God, I hope not. And, and the God. reason, and the reason, and the reason I say that, the reason I say that, if you go back and you look at the president's modus operandi, um, when everything starts going crazy in one area, he wants you to go look someplace else. And I think the first two predictions are going to cause him to have to do something to get everybody focused on something else. Wow. So my prediction is for God, I'm wrong. I hope to God you are, too, from your mouth to God's ears, Admiral Ken. Uh, My three predictions for this year coming up in 2018. uh, It is going to – number one, I think that the Mueller investigation is going to go into overdrive and that we will see indictments handed down by somebody with the last name of Trump. Uh, I think we're going to see – the movement for articles of impeachment become louder. Those drums are going to get louder and louder going into the midterms. And we are going to see a, a true, true surge in the power 
and the popularity of the Hispanic vote. I think we're going to see more Hispanic candidates. I think his, I think we're going to see a larger turnout of Hispanic votes. And I think we're going to see more and more prominent Hispanics in the national dialogue moving forward. So that being the case, uh, I also uh, want to take an opportunity and thank everybody who listens for another great year of our show. We, we, we've been talking that there's a lot of the great things that are going to be happening here in the, in the past few months. And we're, we're still working on those, but 2018 is looking to be a big year for backroom politics and, and the show and the radio show and, and everything moving forward. But we don't do this and we can't do it without our loyal listeners. And, you know, we joke about only having maybe a dozen or so listeners. We, we actually get thousands of you that download this as a podcast and, and hundreds that listen to it live every Tuesday from four to six. So on behalf of myself, Alan Moore, Sharm Lachari, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, Esquire, uh, I, I want to wish everybody a very happy and safe holiday season to all of you and your families. I hope every, I hope that the season brings you peace. I hope it brings you happiness. I hope it brings you really good hot toddies because God knows I'm going to be having those. I'm going to be with family. So uh, around the table real quick, Sharmla, what are you doing for the holidays? I'm going to be in the, uh, the NYC metro area celebrating with my family. Looking forward to it. Oh, yay. No, you're not going down to the Garden State? I am going to the Garden State. I consider that the metro area. Um, Edison, New Jersey is not the metro area. Just saying. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That's Jersey. That's hardcore Jersey. Admiral Ken. Fine, fair enough. Admiral Ken, what do you do? What are your plans for the holidays? Gonna challenge the uh, the bear trap at PGA National in West Palm. There you go. There you go. And Dan Lipner, I would be remiss. Uh, I did not say it last week because we were not quite yet into it, but. I uh, want to wish you and your family happy Hanukkah, because as we said last week, one of our lawyers is a Jew. Dan Littner, <laughs> I want to say happy seventh night of Hanukkah to you. Uh, what do you got planned for uh, the Hanukkah season? And what you... Oh, Admiral Ken finds that funny. I'm just <laughs> quoting Kayla Moore. Dan Littner, what are you doing for the, the holiday season? Uh, I am, well, two things. One, I am going to be in San Francisco, uh, heading out on Thursday. So I'll be there for a week and I'm buying a house. (laughs) Family show, Dan. Thank you. Family show. Well, enjoy, enjoy the Bay Area. Hope everything, I hope you you spend time with buying a house. How is buying a house not appropriate for a family show? I, I misheard you. I thought you said sitting on my ass. Oh, you're buying a house. Buying a house. <laughs> oh, okay. I heard that completely wrong. Well, Mazel Tov, congratulations. <laughs> wow. It's been a long year. Once again, everybody. Yeah, thank, yeah no kidding. Once again, <laughs> on behalf of Sharmila Chari, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Litton Resquire, Alan Moore, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back uh, January... Ninth, I believe. We will be back January 9th 
for our first installment of Backroom Politics going into 2018. It's going to be a doozy of a year. You can bet that. We want to thank you for all your support. Thank you for all the listeners. Thank you for all your comments, our callers. And once again, thank you for your support. Wishing everybody a happy holiday season. This has been the best political talk show you've never heard of. This has been Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio, live from Washington, D.C. Have a great holiday season, everybody. This is Backroom Politics.